Welcome to Authentically Me. This is your host, Megan Signs. My purpose is to bring you real, raw, and honest conversations to help uncover the vulnerability in all of you. New episodes every Monday, so leave the judgment at the door because it's time to get authentic. Welcome back. Today, we are going to touch on a historical moment that wasn't really shown in the United States, and I feel like it really needs to be talked about. So this is the Operations Allies Refuge, or the OAR mission, O-A-R. From what I know, this was started all the way back in 2001. So an international military coalition led by the United States launched an invasion of Afghanistan. As the United States increased air strikes and raids targeting the Taliban, the Taliban in turn attacked Afghan government and Afghan national defense and security forces, targets, and made significant territorial gains. So because of this, the United States had to get more involved since all of their equipment was there and the Taliban was now taking over people that were seen as valuable to the United States, such as at-risk Afghan civilians, particularly interpreters, U.S. embassy employees, and other prospective special immigrant visa, SIV, applicants from Afghanistan. So I actually had the privilege of seeing things firsthand because I had access to the military base in Spain. Honestly, I remember being so scared because it happened soon after I had gotten to Spain, and it just became so real. I was closer to Afghanistan. My former spouse was on a ship and the ships were all deployed and stuck out at sea just to make sure nothing happened to our NATO partners as well as make sure they weren't coming closer to Spain for any reason or going to the United States. Everything became so real. It wasn't just happening on the news. I was involved in it and I could see everything with my own eyes. I remember being shocked because here I am living in this world, this alternative universe, and I would talk to friends and they would be clueless to what I was talking about. And I just felt so much disappointment in the United States to see people there turn to racism and not caring about the Afghans was devastating to see the United States blaming the Afghans for all these things and to see what the news actually put out compared to what was actually happening, I couldn't believe it. So the bases in the surrounding areas, as well as the one in Rota, Spain, responded really well. It was incredible to see everyone come together to hear the CEO of the Spain base say he talked to the president and that they had a meeting with Germany and that they were all setting up donations and getting everything ready to host over 30,000 refugees just filled my heart. And I think it was like 30,000 alone in Germany. I can't remember how much we had. We're definitely like a much smaller base. So I don't think it was that much. I I believe it might have been around like 4,000 to 8,000 though, which is still a lot of people. So the organization within the base, these were some of the following. So USO Rota, Red Cross, the church, medical, security, and many more. I started with one organization that wasn't very well put together. In all honesty, though, like we were all learning day to day on what procedures worked and which ones didn't. Who actually knows like what to do when there's a crisis like this? It's very hard to understand unless you're in it. 
So we have one set up day by day, like we would search every day to see how we could improve things. And this lasted about two months, this operation. The base sectioned off pretty much an entire half of the base to set up fences, a donation center, and etc. It was also kind of messed up because they were kicking people out of the barracks so that they could place refugees there. So that would mean people would go back to sleeping on the ships or they would put them in hotels off base. But some people were deployed. So when they got back, their stuff was in the garbage and then their rooms were like replaced with the refugees. So the organization I first chose to work with was supposed to be the most hands-on. So I chose them because I wanted to be as involved as possible. So they dealt with the refugees firsthand right when they landed as well as serving them meals. So I signed up for the on-call. So I would get an email or a call at random hours. Like we never knew exactly when a plane would arrive. Some got delayed because they couldn't escape Afghanistan. Others took off randomly. Some had people strapped to them during takeoff. It was a lot of things. So we also accepted pets. So some people were trying to find their pets in family members before boarding a plane. There was no seats. It was seriously like one of the military cargo planes. So everyone was sitting on the floor of the plane. Because of the inconsistent schedule, we got no sleep at all. I think I like went home to sleep for an hour and then came back for another shift. And it was just like really chaotic. So I remember asking someone to cover me for like an hour so I could go home and feed the dogs. This was like in the very beginning stages. Um, Eventually, I found an amazing dog sitter that was willing to come over whenever I needed since the shifts were so inconsistent. So that really helped me out. And that's just like me as a volunteer. Like you also have to consider that active duty has to still go to work and do their job. And they're also responsible for volunteering. So people were working nonstop around the clock. It was insane. So especially the security team, which I felt really bad for. My first job was to collect information from the refugees once they landed. This is basic medical questions such as like how many pregnancies, were they currently pregnant, their name, birthday, all of that. This was supposed to help speed the process up because then from there, they would go get evaluated and go to these people that input all that stuff to see who they were. So it was like an extensive background check for every single person in their family, babies included. Then if they were cleared, they would go to campsite area where they could sleep, play, and eat. I then moved over to doing bracelets and I ended up staying there because I loved it so much. And every now and then, I would sub in for the lactation room. So this room was for women who were breastfeeding or honestly just needed a place to lay down and rest with their babies. It had extra formula, clothes, diapers, and baby food. The moms were so grateful. I eventually became the main leader of the bracelet group. So then that added a lot of pressure, although like, They were volunteer shifts and they weren't mandatory. Mine kind of was at this point because I was honestly like the supervisor of the group since my organization was very disorganized. So we learned certain words in the Afghan language. We learned that most men don't speak to women. They prefer other men. But if it is a woman, to not speak to another woman. So it's a very male-dominated culture. So how this process went was like this. So Think of a flight hanger because that's where we were located. 
So the left side was filled with chairs and the refugees would get off the plane. They were immediately greeted with the CO of the base. They were sniffed out by the canines to make sure that there wasn't anything dangerous. And then anyone who needed immediate medical attention was taken away to the medical tent. So all the refugees went to this left side to take a seat. There, they were greeted by the USO, who had snacks and water and even toys for the children. From there, they would take one row at a time and go through security and check every single bag and get a pat down. Then they would proceed to come on the right side of the hangar, where they would meet me, a few others, and those are the people that would put the bracelets on them. So every bracelet had a number, and that's how they were identified in the system. It honestly reminded me of like a modern day slave camp. And I feel really bad for saying that, but it just felt very cringy like that. You're only able to apply a bracelet like to a woman if you're a woman. So I was only allowed to place bracelets on women and children because the men preferred a man. It's just something to do with their culture. And we really wanted to make it as respected as possible and as easy for them as possible because they're coming from extreme situations. So we had equal genders, and if for some reason a male wasn't available for the other male, then a woman would be able to do it. So they were instructed not to take off their bracelets because this was their sole identity and how they got food and everything. So from there, they would go to the center of the room and sit down in organized tables. We kept families with families, and let me tell you, they had big families. So from there, those forms I mentioned in the beginning would get filled out. Volunteers would spread out and gather, like they would all spread out and gather the information. From there, they would get a COVID test and then be placed in another area that was sectioned off for about eight families to fit at a time. And they would wait to be called up to go through their extensive background check and to be cleared. So then from there, they would be escorted onto a bus, which would take them to a camp area, which would be their last stop. So once things were sorted, like started to die down at the hangar and flights were a little to none, I started volunteering for the meal area. So this area was so different than the hangar because you got to see kids playing and laughing and you got to talk to them about their life. Amidst all of this, they were all smiling and just so happy and so grateful. When they landed, some of them were separated, even children. They would ask where their parents were. We would send them to a location we had where they would try to reunite them. I saw some terrorists that would sneak in with the innocent people, members of the Taliban or just other terrorists. We had NCIS on scene. A lot of refugees had knives and weapons because they were battling for their lives. Some had a sack of food like bread and stuff since they didn't know when their next meal would be. They had super dirty clothes. A woman actually had her baby on one of the flights, so there was immediate medical attention. We had babies who were hours old or a day old. We had children whose parents died, but the Afghans were so nice and parents would just sweep them up and adopt them as if they were their own. We had wounded people getting off the plane. We had people who could barely walk or stay awake because they were so tired. I saw everything and anything. So everyone on base donated food and clothes. There was actually a certain point where we didn't have enough volunteers to sort through everything. So we had to stop donations for a while because we had that many donations. Because the organization I was 
volunteering with wasn't the greatest. After everything was almost over, I ended up transferring to another one, which was the USO. And they were seriously incredible. They were on top of everything. They managed more of the active duty side. So making sure active duty had food and drinks available, managing the USL Volunteer Center, which is connected to the flights to get the Afghan people back to a safe space. Um, It was so much fun. I loved it. I stayed volunteering with them for a while after since they were like so organized and so fun and they just had really fun opportunities. I just want to talk about recovery for the refugees. So another thing to think about is diseases, and this was the height of COVID as well. So there were a lot of dangerous factors. We all had to wear the special N90 mask. We had to wear gloves. But the thing is, the refugees wore them in the beginning, but then once they got to the camps, nobody was mandated to keep them on. So viruses and diseases were just spreading rapidly. Like we were trying to get people out and get them the medical attention that they needed if we weren't able to serve them. I don't know too much about the recovery process for the refugees other than what I've heard. So from what I was told, they were trying to send most of them to the States. Some remained in different countries and others had to go back to Afghanistan. I think it all depended on what documentation they had with them. I'm really not sure though. So while we had flights coming in with new refugees, we also had constant flights going out. So those would also be at weird hours. I do know for Spain, if they were staying there, they had a certain time limit to learn Spanish. And if they didn't, then they would have to leave. There was like very harsh rules in place for them. The Spanish community was so involved. We had a ton of people donating stuff. The Spanish community is very family oriented, which is one reason I love them. So some even asked to come volunteer on the base. So for Spain in particular, they're very strict on who's allowed to come on base, and it's basically only active duty. Other bases, you can usually get sponsored by someone to come on, and they aren't very strict. But Spain, you have to have a certain card that only active duty gets. So unfortunately, they weren't allowed on the base, but we had multiple people that created certain drop-off locations, and then the people that could be on base would go grab them and bring them on base. There was also shelters out in town. Once they had gone through the whole clearance process, if they were staying in Spain, they would go there. And this experience was just really humbling to see how a community in different countries could really come together. Like, I wish I could have talked about this in real time. I did post some pictures during this time, but I unfortunately wasn't allowed to say anything since I was with the military who had like the insider scoop of everything and It was during an active war, so I wasn't really allowed to like leak that information out. It was just like a very interesting process, but I am very grateful and humbled for this experience. And I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. My goal is to always create a safe space to be vulnerable in. And if you benefited from this episode in any way, the best way to show your appreciation is by simply screenshotting this episode and sharing on your social media or with your team. Or even better, drop me a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Don't forget, if you're looking for additional support, I love being a resource to you on Instagram at HealWithMegan. I can't wait to share space with you all again next week. Sending you all love and healing.